Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Phoenix Rods and Viking Heads. Check out Phoenix Rods at phoenixrods.com or check them out on Instagram at phoenixrods. Check out Viking Heads at Viking Head Bait Co. on Instagram and the site will be up in March. If you guys want to check them out, you can go to Performance Tackle. Uh, they're the only shop that has them right as of right now, but um, they'll be up after the PCS show or you can come to the PCS show. Today we have Jazz Moorhead with uh, the Flyer. California Flyer, great episode. This guy's done it all. He's done a ton of different stuff from making a lead head, building boats, being a captain, and building the Flyer, which is kind of a new cool thing. It's a, it's a little bit of everything, and Jazz has done a little bit of everything. He has some uh, actually some saltwater swim baits he made, I think, back in like 2015 or 16, some glides and stuff he was making to throw for Calicos. So it's a really good episode. Check him out at the PCS show as well. Um that's been about it. I have a Whitney Ueda is going to be on next Monday. He talks about the 30 by 30 as well as about some habitat stuff. He's done at Kachuma. Uh, he's done it all too as well. Another, another great guest, but um, that's been about it guys. I should have uh, new shirts at the show PCS show, which is going to be next week, starting Thursday. Please come down and hang out. Um, also going to have heads, a lot of them. So if you guys want to check out the Viking heads, I'll be there doing the booth with, uh, I think Caesar's going to be there all weekend with me. Uh, Wax going to be there one day from Wack and Fishing. Uh, Kelly will be there a couple of the days. And I will also be hosting two seminars. First one's going to be the Swim Bay Seminar with uh, Caesar uh, from Toxic Baits, Rob Flotta from Bottom Dweller, and it will be Kevin Matson. So it'll be a great one. And then the one on Sunday will be the wall seminar, which is going to be um, Bobby Martinez, uh, Matt Kobzeff, Chris Lillis, and Mike Stembridge. So that's going to, if you guys are into fishing the break wall, I'm going to say those four guys know how to pick it apart and have done it for multiple years. So a long time. So please come down to that seminar. Not only that, both seminars, I'll be giving stuff away. Uh, the first one will be giving a rod and some other stuff away. All you got to do is sit at the seminar, hang out, uh, I'll give you a ticket. If you ask a question, if we do any q and I'll give you another ticket. At the end of the seminar, we do a raffle. You'll get a rod and whatever crap we have. I'm not sure what we're going to do on, on Caesars yet uh, and Rob's and Matson's, 
but I'm sure they'll probably toss something cool in there. On the wall seminar, what you're going to have is a Phoenix M1. You'll have uh, Beast Hooks. You'll have some Weedless Stembridge, um, Stembridge, Weedless Pearl, Pearl Baits, and you'll have some Viking Heads. And to top it all off, you'll have a Daiwa, a Tatula 300. So whoever uh, wins that raffle gets everything. So if you guys come down on Sunday, I think it's at 3 p.m., I'll be posting something this week. Uh, come and check that out because you can win a ton of shit. Um, other than that, check out uh, Fred Clinchaw is going to be doing one. Um, Butch Brown's going to be doing one. He'll be doing one every day, I think. So uh, check out. There's going to be a ton of good seminars, so please come down. Check that out. And uh, we'll have a ton of Viking heads. You guys can come check them out. Uh, see what we've been doing. Come shoot the shit. I'll be doing some podcasts as well with the typical guys and some new people that I've been trying to get on that uh, are very interesting to me. So um, I hope you guys like this episode, and we'll have another one next Monday. Thanks for listening, guys. All right, welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today, we have a guy that's done it all. Uh, This is round two on this one, but for a good reason. Uh, After me and Chaz talked after the podcast for maybe like an hour, um, I found out a lot of things I didn't know about him. So we have a really good timeline to go over a lot of things he's done. I think he's a very good craftsman. Uh, Mechanically, he can build a lot of shit, and he has a lot of cool stories. So uh, we'll get right into it and kind of talk where about he, he grew up, yep. uh, kind of cut his teeth fishing. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Crystal Cove um, and just kind of grew up down there at the beach and grew up fishing in the surf, surfing, spear fishing, And I don't know, kind of found a passion for uh, the sport and kind of went from that point and then just gradually started going out on sport boats kind of here and there. I go up to mammoth and trout fish and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, just kind of the progression of that went from, uh, spotty fishing to calico fishing, starting to pinhead. Um, and then started on a three quarter day boat and I did a few seasons on that. Um, and that was a great time. And then from that point, went to a private yacht and I was on there for like a period of two years and a lot of cleaning on that boat and (laughs) not a whole ton of fishing. Um, And then, yeah, from that point, I worked at Pelagic for five years and I did that stint there. Um, you're going way too fast, buddy. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> we'll do. Let's go back because this guy. You want to rewind? Does, no, we're gonna keep like we are. This is okay. real shit. All right. So let's go break down your. Um, maybe after you got into trout fishing, maybe say like 15, 16 ish. Yeah. You found spotties in calico. Yeah. Around that age. Yeah. Let's talk about that because you were kind of like in the heyday, from what I consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started fishing was probably ten years ago. How old are you right now? Thirty-one. So you were still before that, and yep. that's when it was, like, hot. Yeah, it was good. So, like, talk about how you got into spotties and who you were fishing with, because okay. a lot of the guys you're fishing with are dudes that yeah. are respected. Yeah. Day, you know? um, so when I was working on the sport boat, I saved up a bit of money, and I think I was, like, 15 or 16 at the time, and I bought a skiff. I bought a, a 17-foot 
ponga um and was calico fishing on that quite a bit spotty fishing on that uh i took it to catalina a couple of times and just kind of fell in love with the whole whole calico thing um and then from that point just kind of played around with our tackle and started to pour up a couple of jig heads here and there and i mean that's a whole thing i could go into as well and that's the next part because yeah. he he's done it this is the big thing is that Jazz has done it all. Because after we talked, I, I mean, I showed him my leadhead, and he's like, yeah, I kind of did that too. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to hear the whole the whole backstory. Mm-hmm. From what, how, like I said, he's a craftsman. Yeah. I feel like you can do it all, so mm-hmm. definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, so during that whole time of calico fishing, uh, we were losing a bunch of heads at the break wall. Um and I hopped on Craigslist for some odd reason and found a poison head mold um, from a guy in Costa Mesa. And I went and grabbed that and started to pour up some heads and stuff. And I was doing that in their backyard and then curing up the powder coat in their kitchen. And yeah. Was um, your dad tripping? N- kind of. Uh, <laughs> it, I don't know. There's a lot of fumes and all that kind of stuff coming off of it. But with the lead head? This is a question for you. Yeah. At the wall, do you think that really matters what you throw or is it kind of like just a piece of lead that you throw? I would say during the daytime it might matter, but at night I don't really think it matters. If it's yellow, if it's red, if it's brown, I don't really think it matters. Really? I I mean, there's not a ton of light. I feel like it's a profile. Um, It's like a silhouette type of deal it's more of just getting that bait in the rocks where you want yeah. at the time yeah i feel like sizing is a lot more crucial really than color yeah were you a finesse guy on the wall or were you more of like a heavy no, line? heavy really 50 pound you can't do that shit anymore buddy <laughs> yeah <laughs> that shit don't work no more yeah. no it does <laughs> i i haven't fished at the wall in probably over 10 years so really i wouldn't know it's yeah. it's different a lot of uh a lot of weedless stuff a lot of ewg stuff yeah yeah like Sled heads always, a, yeah. I mean, that's been the go-to forever, yeah. but. I mean, I feel like at the time, I think it was like two, th- well, I graduated high school in 2009, so I got my boat right around that same time, and that was kind of when the break wall was like, it was it was pretty good, um, and we had a handful of days out there that we absolutely crushed them, but it slowly, it started to taper off. I could see from like 2009 to like 2015, there was like a drastic, drastic type of change. Um, and it was just like not a lot of quality fish as far as, the, I don't know, the, I feel like the quantity as well. It was like pretty, it was pretty down. What do you, so I'm doing a break wall seminar at yeah. PCS. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the guys that you remember that really beat the fuck out of that thing and could catch big ones? Because um, this is a cool thing is the break wall is only here. Yeah. It's nowhere else. You don't yeah. have it in San Diego. You don't yeah. have it in, you know, it's just right in Long Beach. So yeah. who were the guys that were like, these guys fucking know what they're doing? I feel like I didn't really like know a ton of them personally. I had like a pretty small group of friends and like, I feel like at the time that, I personally had gotten into fishing. It wasn't really cool yet. Um, and like, there's not a ton of friends that like, that I had. So it was like a small group of people, probably three or four guys that, um, are not really that known. Um, but Salve, he was hitting it, um, C's and a handful of other guys out there. So 
I mean, there's not really a ton of people that I like, I personally knew, but, um, yeah, it was, you weren't, did you start the SBS stuff at that or SWBA at that time? So that was the reason that I got the skiff is I was like, I, I mean, I saw those guys doing all those tournaments and stuff and I was like hyped on it and trying to get into it. But I just, I didn't have a boat. I didn't have like, I didn't have the capability to go to Catalina or to go out to Clemente and like, and actually feel competitive. Um, so I fished a handful of spotty tournaments. I fished a Calico tournament with Salve. Um, and we won that. And that was like one of the few tournaments I fished. Do you remember that bag? Uh, it was like 24 pounds. Fuck, that's great. That was a good one. And remember the big fish? Uh, I don't know. It was like a five pound calico. That's good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back before the bluefin, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you kind of, that was your deal at the time. Yeah. You had the ponga. Mm-hmm. You're fishing the wall. Yep. Did you decide like, Hey man, this shit's not enough for me. Uh, I mean, like boat wise, how about that? Yeah, so the Ponga was definitely a trash can. It was a pile. Uh, I got it on Craigslist for like twenty five hundred dollars. It had a, a two stroke on it, had fuel tank problems. I don't think it had ran for years, and it had like a gel inside of the tank, and it would clog up. You'd run a couple of miles, and it would clog and die, oh, and then fuck, it was dude. just a pain in the ass. So. That boat, it turned into a quick project and I cut out the fuel tank. And then a friend of mine had a whaler that he was selling. Um, and I actually scrapped the project on the Ponga and got the whaler. What year was that and what model? Uh, the whaler was a 1983 17-footer. Um, uh, a Montauk? Montauk? Yeah, a Montauk. Dude, I had the same thing I bought. Yeah. Nowadays, you know how much that fucker's worth? I sold mine for fourteen grand. like. 10 years ago so probably quite a bit more <laughs> so that was was it an engine did it have an engine or anything I'm yeah uh and i got a great price on it i think i got the whaler for four grand had oh a oh my f- god a four stroke on it and it had a four stroke oh fuck yeah. me dude you yeah. scored i did, I did. <laughs> yeah. so what was wrong with the boat when you got it uh not really anything i mean as far as like the cosmetics of it like it was old mm-hmm. um I had like some cracking and a handful of problems, but, uh, I think I fished it how it was for a handful of years. And then from that point I tore it down to the bear hole and flipped it upside down, sanded off pretty much all the paint on that thing, re-gel coated it. What did, did you spray it on or did you, uh, yeah, really? Yep. Did you know how to do this or you just kind of figure it out? On YouTube. Own? Fuck everything on that. Yep. yep Shit. Yep. So from that sprayed it up uh created a custom console a custom- what did you build now talk about this is shit i'm like okay. so if i would have known i would have had you on the, the kind of like podcast where we talked about whalers i didn't know yeah, yeah. and it was eb and it was uh hopper mm-hmm. and we kind of talked about builds mm-hmm. so talk of like the custom console did you when you made it did you get the foam did you wrap it with fucking fiberglass how did you go about with that uh, I think I created the template from plywood. Okay. And then from that, I got some like half inch, like high quality ply and formed it up and then, f- uh, glassed it and, and painted it up. Um, Damn. as far as like that whole console, it was pretty standard. I mean, yeah. I didn't do anything like, I, I don't know. Nothing out of blue. Just, you just wanted a good console. Yeah. Yeah. 
So did you want it a little smaller? It was a center console then, right? Yeah. So I pushed up the for or I pushed up the console forward and then on that boat it didn't have any storage. So on the front of it, I had extended the little like front casting platform. I raised it and then extended it like I think three feet. That gave me a couple of compartments uh forward. Did it have the um the anchor locker right in the middle? Yeah. I yeah. had the same one yep, when I bought yep. that's what I was my plan yeah so i liked that yeah it was a wide boat it was pretty cool yeah yeah um and then i repowered it with the uh suzuki a 90 um Shit. and i took that boat i think i think i went to clemeni in that thing like close close to 10 times <laughs> it's a s- small boat hey you're a scary person yeah yeah that's fucking crazy yeah. did it slap oh yeah it <laughs> fucked my back up so bad i st- <laughs> I'm probably half an inch shorter because <laughs> of that boat. Dude, to Clemente in that. But you and, I mean, Salve, if you look at the old videos, he fucking he would went send it all the time, yeah. dude. He would send it in that boat. But you guys, his videos for calico fishing are probably yeah. some of the best. 100%. Like that I've seen because they, he all, and they were young. You yeah. guys, 17? I mean, this was at the time that I didn't really know him, but I, I mean, I saw his clips and I was like, if he can go it or if he's going out there, then I'm going. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I took that thing out there, had a ton of great, a ton of great trips out there. Um, I mean, it's obviously like you have to choose the right time to go on that boat, but it's, it's completely, it's completely capable. So, so at this time, yeah. So if we rewind a little bit, mm-hmm. you, uh, had the boat you that's a little farther forward you made a lead head yeah so you had the the craigslist thing yeah uh so i got the uh poison head mold from craigslist started to pour those up for personal use and then i handed them out to a couple of friends and then it just kind of grew from that point and then uh i i forget how i got it into fisherman's hardware but um I think Joe Gata hit me up or like a friend of his. Fuck that guy. <laughs> no, Joe Gata is the best. He's a good buddy. Yeah. Joe uh, Dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he or a friend had hit me up and started selling there at that tackle shop. And that was our first one. Um, and just kind of ran through that whole process for, I don't know, a year or so. How old were you then? 17 or 18, I think. Then after that point where you're like, okay, it's a poison head. Yeah. Did you try to move forward a little more? Yeah. Uh, I I got pretty tired of hand pouring and, and trying to do all that. And I tried to expand it. Um, and I went through a whole, whole prototyping process. And I tried to go t- to China and get it produced over there. And that just... It didn't really, it didn't work out. It was a, a lot of, a lot of time going back and forth. Um, I got the samples done. I mean, I got like pretty much complete. This, the, the reason I ask him is yeah. like, I see this. He showed it to me during, after we talked and I'm like, motherfucker, you had the yeah. the juice. Yeah. It probably would have been like one of the heads everyone would have fished on the market. Yeah. And you made it a different Mm-hmm. size so like yeah. a style yeah so a lot of the lead head styles even mine you see a certain way yeah. his didn't look like that it tracked yeah. a little different it, mm-hmm. it looked really cool yeah you know yeah what gave you that idea for that image or that saw that the way it looks uh as far as like the shape on that i would call it probably like a, a 
like a spade head. Yes. It was kind of like a shovel um, and just wanted something that had a center of gravity that was like pretty low that would track well, hop well. Um, and I hand, I think I hand carved that original prototype from clay and then sent that to China and then they 3D scanned it and created a couple of different sizes of it. And then from that point, we had got the actual physical samples and I fished them. It worked great. And then from that point, the person who I was in contact with in China, like stopped contacting me. And you're like 18 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, dude. So I feel like, I don't know how much time had gone into it. It was probably like six to eight months of time. Shit. And then from that point, it was just like, all right. Um, <laughs> done i'm done and the, you're fishing catalina and uh yeah. san clemente at the time yeah. a lot yeah and then it got to a point where found the weedless in like 2015 and then from that point i don't think i've really used a lead head since so so that's the thing though is like i i feel like you're not gonna throw a lead head to burn it if you got a weedless so when you found the weedless who was the first guys to kind of that you remember have the weedless uh, Reyes, uh, Corey Sandin had his, uh, the Island plastic. Um, what other ones? I think there was a couple other ones out there, okay. but, uh, I think Reyes, I think his were the first ones they had gotten. Um, and the first time I fished it was, I think like in probably June of 2015 and Catalina was firing. It was, <laughs> it was really, really good at that time. Um, and yeah, it's, it was just a completely, completely different technique, a lot more fun, a lot faster. I'm not really that into like hopping a jig. I'm like a lot faster. Um, like a Mike Lane and Scotty. Kind yeah, of like the ex exactly. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And that, I mean, what did, what were you like when you got into the weed list? What kind of fish were you catching? Like way bigger? Uh, or you just were the, the, the uh, what was the difference? You just like to be more active? Yeah, just, uh, I feel like you could sight fish it quite a bit more. You yeah. were catching a lot of fish. Um, as far as, I feel like your quality of fish, it was a lot better. Uh, you fish the weedless, I don't know, in places that you might not throw a lead head uh, in, in places that have got a ton of, a ton of cover, a ton of kelp. Um, so, it's just, it's a completely different technique, but it was really cool. Um, I caught a lot of, a lot of quality, quality ones on that. Hey, quality what? Models. Quality models. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Quality models. I made Evan say yeah, that shit yeah, on every podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quality models. Quality models. That, that's that the truth. That's his trademark fucking shit, dude. Yeah, Evan's yeah. made that. So when you start fishing the weedless, you're handy. You yeah. could fucking make pretty much anything you want. Did you make your own? I did. What, uh, why did you make your own? Was there a reason for that? I was young and broke. <laughs> and I didn't want to pay $5. Um, and if you go to Catalina or Clemente and you have a good day, you're probably going through 20 baits. So Beast hook then? Were you guys using the beast hook at that time? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Did they have all the sizes then? I I think so. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. had the 12s and the 10s and the. Uh, I don't know if they had the 12 at that time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so then, the, did you try to sell that model? Or just your your kind of. No. Deal? As far as yeah, I feel like the plastics and stuff that was only for friends. 
I didn't, right? Yeah. 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 So at this time, you are uh, you still had your boat. Mm-hmm. You still had your whaler. I did. You were going there. Yep. Um, when did you get over it and start moving to other stuff? Mm. Uh, I think I had the whaler until I bought my twin V. So the whaler uh, that completely finished, you had the 90 on it? Yeah. Had that boat for probably five or six years um, until I was probably like 25 or something. Oh, really? So you fished the fuck out of that yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Bluefin, or was Bluefin around oh, yeah. then? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Why, how was that in a little boat? Uh, pretty, it was It was pretty cold. There was one trip uh, that I did on that boat. I think I trailered it down to Dana Point and ran out to, I think, like the 181 solo and ran like 40 miles offshore. And I found a foamer and I cast into it. I caught a bluefin and had the thing towing us around in the boat. <laughs> Were you kind of like stressed out a little? Like, not really. No. It's it's kind of a it's a cool thing. It's it's a I don't know. It's a peaceful type of environment out there. If you're if you're solo, um, I don't know. It's a it's a huge ocean out there. How, it, how big was it? Seventy eighty pounds. Okay, yeah. wasn't that big? No. What year was that when you caught that bluefin? I think twenty fifteen. So this was the time. Yeah. So is that when you that decided was, to sell your boat when it was the time? Uh, well, I had, I had the opportunity to get a twenty-six foot twin V, um, and I sold the whaler to fund that. Okay. Yeah. So what did the twenty-six twin V need done to it? Uh, not a lot. A lot of the boats I bought have been like you scored pretty. Yeah, they've <laughs> been they've been pretty good, but um. I don't know. There's a part of me that's just like, how can it be cooler? How can it be rigged any better? Uh, can I improve on this thing? So on that twin V, I took that boat down to the bear hole. So you took that thing apart as well. Yep. Yep. Completely. Where did you keep it? Uh, that boat, we had it on, uh, it was on a can off of Balboa Island. Shit, dude. Yeah. It was out there. It was a pain in the ass, uh, down there. I would go to a public dock mm-hmm. and then I would have to hop in a kayak or hop in a paddleboard <laughs> and paddleboard to the you boat. You can't call any of your fucking asshole friends and go, no, hey, dude, come no. give me a fucking ride. No, no. <laughs> so that was a pain in the ass. Um, and Are you good? You want more? Uh, yeah, sure. But um, so back to the to, to this boat. Yeah. You decided it would be a good idea. 20, 25? Uh, it was a... A 26. 26. That's yeah. a big fucking boat from 17 to Yeah, 26. it was huge. It was huge. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was pretty good already. You just had to, yeah. you decided to get a hair up your ass to fucking go wild on it. Yeah. Uh, I think it was probably the winter time. I think, I think I got that boat in like 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. And had it on a trailer and we kept it in front of our house. And I tweaked around on that thing for close, I think, close to a year. And okay. I tore it completely off. I took the tower off. Uh, we took the windshield off the boat, stripped all the wiring, uh, stripped off the seats, all that kind of stuff, all the electronics, the rigging. Uh, I rebuilt the console on that to fit the Simrad unit that we had in, had installed on it. We got the tower rebuilt, repowder coated. No um, way. So you went full. Yeah. 
So when you're doing stuff like this, are you just Googling YouTube, Google, find some guys that can fucking powder coat for you? Uh, yeah. 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 Shit, man. A friend of mine had some kind of connected a powder coat shop and had it done there. Um, but pretty much the rest of it, as far as, uh, as far as the fiberglass work, um, and the rigging and all that kind of stuff, I had already had done it on the whaler and had a pretty good sense of it. So, uh, I rewired pretty much that whole boat. Did you know how to rewire shit already as well? I mean, not really, but I don't know. <laughs> Did you use aluminum coated stuff or just regular wire? Uh, I don't know. Because there's a fucking wire you got to use for boats. I forgot what it's called. It's yeah, a, I didn't use it. On my I mean, I it was it was definitely. I I think it was like the proper how componentry. Long, how much did you put into that boat to tweak it out and do everything you needed to do? Probably twenty grand. So you sold your boat for fucking 14. 14. And then Bought I got in. I got in, I think, on a partnership. Well, it was a it was a partnership on that boat. And mm-hmm. I think we got it from a friend of ours for like I think under 10 grand. So then you had it the 14, you still had some money to yeah. get into it. Yeah. So you you spend 14 grand, do this whole bitch up. Did you get to fish it a lot? No. I ran it to Clemente twice. And it sat in the water for one month. And then uh, some sea lions had <laughs> hopped onto it and sunk it down to the bottom of the bay. God, dude. You yeah. gotta, there's, how about insurance? Nope. I didn't have insurance at the time. So That's the fucking it was, worst story ever. It was a full, a full total. So was your partner in on this too? Yeah. Did he, yeah. Did he flip out? I mean... It was like it's a kind of it's a kind of deal that like there's not really a person to blame. Like you can't be like no, that's like yeah, I, you guys are both like we're yeah. fucked. Yeah, so it was a type of deal. It was a total loss, and the thing that hurt on top of that is to get it hauled out and like f- to get it refloated and then brought from Balboa to the dunes, and that's only like a half a mile, three quarters of a mile. It costs like five grand. Oh my god! Yeah. So out of pocket, I mean, you're like twenty five grand in the hole. Fuck, yeah. dude. Yeah. So nothing was. Could you salvage anything? Uh, not really. I think I sold the hole for five grand. Uh, the two outboards on it, those things had gotten completely shot. The electronics were completely Done. fried. Um, yeah, it was. So if you would have had insurance, would you have been able to like go, hey, I'm fucking good? I mean, I hope so. I feel like that (laughs) boat, I feel like we had gotten it for so cheap and then had done all the work to it. I mean, I don't know how you like quote that out through insurance, but I feel like I could have sold it in 2018, 2019 for like probably 40 grand. Or you could have waited till 2020 and sold it for fucking 70. Yeah, I could have. dude. Yeah. Um, After that boat. At that time, were you working on boats already? Uh, at that phase, no. No. Uh, I worked on sport boats in high school and then first couple of years of college. Um, and then from that point, I stopped doing that and then hopped into a private yacht. Okay. And I did that for two years, roughly. How was that? Uh, 
I mean, it was a beautiful yacht, really, really cool, but we didn't really fish hardly at all. Um, you just had to be hands-on with people? Uh, on the private yacht, yeah, I mean, it's pretty hands-on, <laughs> but it's it's honestly, it's it's a ton of cleaning. It's just really? like you're cleaning on cleaning on cleaning. So, so you take it out maybe once? Probably once a month. Fuck, dude. Yeah. And you're just going every day like a nine-to-five? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that, dude. And it's it's clean. <laughs> I'm cleaning a clean boat. So Yeah, it's not it's not that enjoyable. Wow, she's good. You got Diet Cokes? Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> she probably made him weak, guys, because she knows. She knows me. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's pretty good actually. Yeah. She didn't make him that weak. Thank you, Roxanne. This yeah. is the first. Thank you, thank you. Um, so I know that's what I, one thing I always if people say they worked on private boats, you're getting your hours in or whatever you got to do. Yeah. You don't have to get any hours in, right? Or is that getting your hours in when you're trying to get your that captains? private yacht? I was a crew member, okay, so I didn't captain on that. But the uh, the owner of the boat he had offered me a raise if I had uh, gone to captain's school um and kind of and 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 go do that whole process so i did that in san diego um and i went through that whole course and then i got that raise and i was on that boat for like probably another year i think after that you captain no no but you get the experience to like co-captain or yeah maybe run it. Okay. yeah how yeah. big was that boat 72 foot that's fucking huge yeah did you ever back it into the dock no <laughs> No, I didn't. Because <laughs> that would be like, that's the scary fucking part. I mean, it's pretty cool on that boat, though, as far as, like, t- technology goes. Yeah, stern thrusters, bow thrusters. It was like, that boat could go pretty much. It was like a Cadillac. Yeah, it could go pretty much any place that you're trying to put it. So so after that, what was the plan? Uh let's see from that point uh i did some graphic design for a packaging company for close to a year and then covid hit and then i didn't have a job anymore (laughs) and that's when california flyer had happened what about pelagic uh that was pre-private yacht pre-private yacht so how did you hook up with pelagic uh i think one of my aunt's friends was like friends with the owner's wife okay so i started there um i don't know what year that would be with kizik hands free shoes motion sounds something like this kizik helps you experience the magic of motion with over 200 patents and easy on easy off technology you'll never have to touch your shoes again There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Probably 
2015 to 2014. So you were still calico fishing kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I started there, started uh, packaging um, and processing pretty much all of their clothing orders and everything. And I was the only guy there. And then from that point, that company blew up. Really. So that was I'm going to say right now. How it was that small at that time? So at that time, I think there was probably five people who were there at the company. Fuck. Yeah. And now they're huge. Yeah. Uh, just going from the warehouse that we were at on 16th Street to the new one on Placentia, uh, I think they hired like another 20 or so people. So, so since you saw that kind of happen, yeah, what do you think it was that made them so big? Like how do you think they struck gold? I mean, I think the company has been around for like close to 20 years. So, and it took them that long to really find their stride, you think? I mean, I think they were pretty well established at that point in time. It's just social media helped, I think, in a huge way. Um, the Pelagic girls? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's kind of interesting to see because you've seen it, you saw it happen, the transition. Yeah. Where you got, did they have other warehouses as well? Uh, no. So at that point in time at the first one, uh, on 16th street, it was just me and Christina, who was the processor for a ton of the orders and all that kind of stuff. And then they started to grow at that point. And I think I got my friend Josh a job. I got my friend, uh, Jack a job there. And then from that point hired on a handful of other guys. Um, and then we moved to Placentia Street uh, in Costa Mesa. And then from that point, I think we hired on close to 20 people. That's when they had more of like a um, admin yeah. there, right? Yeah. yeah. That's where you went to the admin side. More. Yeah. So um, they had the whole graphic design people, customer service, uh, people in charge of a ton of the orders and all that kind of stuff. And How did you get in the graphic design portion? Like, How uh, did you know about that at all? I took a couple of classes in high school um, for Photoshop and all that kind of stuff and had been playing around with it. But I didn't do graphic design at that company. Um, so You did the photo. You like kind of. Well, a- I mean, I, I, I did in a sense. Uh, so that job there at Pelagic, I transitioned from packaging um, to kind of running the social media. Um, and I ran their Facebook and all that kind of stuff and then handled a lot of the pro team. Um, and I would, I would get, uh, a lot of the content from them and then kind of repost all that. And from that point, using Photoshop pretty much on a daily basis, color correcting all that kind of stuff. Wow. So every photo you'd have to go color correct. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, you kind of learned how to, to promote your own company as well. Yeah, exactly. I feel like pretty much all the processes I've gone through have gotten me to the point that I'm at right now. When you were, when you were there, were you running Instagram? Yeah. How many fucking DMS did you get from dudes going, how do I be pro stuff, bro? <laughs> that honestly is probably a part of the reason I quit that. Are you fucking that, serious? That, that job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of that job that I had to do was, have to contact every person who contacts us. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. So if a dude's like, "Hey, I think I'd fit your uh, your brand," here's what I did. Yeah. You you can't just go 
fucking dickwad. You got to. Nope. Wow. I mean, I feel like a company at that size, like you have to have some kind of protocol um, and we would have to follow that protocol. And it just got to a point that I would spend half of my day having to contact a ton of people 16 year old kids yeah yeah exactly so it just it, it got to a point that i was like i was so tired of How being at a computer on instagram a day no, i don't know probably four or five hours fuck dude yeah gosh yeah that that's a lot dude yeah i'm sure that what made you go like i don't want to be on instagram anymore at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. fuck so then when you started doing this, so you learned so much, you, you were running the Instagram, you're running. Did you do anything on the webpage as well? Uh, no. No. So no. just Instagram socials. That's it. Yeah. Uh, no. Twitter or no, not no. really. No. Um, so that drove you to go like, I'm kind of done. Did they want to push you up farther? Because I feel like there's not many people where you take them from shipping to this, to this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just, it got to a point that I had kind of grew, I grew, uh, I just, I, I grew to a point that I wasn't happy being, I guess, confined to uh, a chair and a desk. I was, I don't know, I did it for five years and I just, I got to a point that I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't. So. So even though when you're younger, did you like see yourself working out of nine to five? No. Never. No. It just, it was, it was a point in time I got that job. Uh, but I was probably 20 at the time and I was happy. It was cool. It was a scene that I was pretty passionate about. Um, and then from that point we kind of grew progressively. Um, and I got a promotion there and all that kind of stuff. And then it, it got to a point that, I mean, as far as that whole job goes, it was, it was a cool experience. I got to travel. I got to go to to a handful of trade shows. Um, and that whole part of it, it was cool, but a lot of it, it was just computer type of work. And I don't know, I just got a little fried. So, so then you decided, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Quit. Yeah. That was 2019. Uh, probably 20, 2018, I think. Yeah. But then COVID hit, you fucked yourself. Yeah. Uh, so from Pelagic, I went to the graphic design work. Uh, the bag at, place. Huh? The bag place. Yeah. At the packaging company. Um, and we were doing packaging for a handful of people. Um, and I was doing that there for roughly about a year. And then COVID had hit and I quit that job or I mean covid hit so <laughs> you're fucked either yeah. way yeah so then when covid hit um did you always have an uh, so you've been bluefin fishing before yeah you've been in your boat doing it uh-huh. when, so let's rewind a little bit uh-huh. 2015 they started coming around mm-hmm. you took your boat out you caught that 80 pounder or 50 pounder whatever it was mm-hmm. when did you start going there's big fuckers and i want to try to get them uh Let's see. So I got linked up with Salve, probably quality models, quality models. <laughs> probably got linked up with him at a Fred Hall show, like 2011 or 10. I don't know. A long, a long time ago and started fishing bluefin on his boat. He had him in San Diego and we fished on a Hawk and 
I can remember our first cow that we had caught on that boat, and that was pretty freaking cool. I think that was in 2015. What were you doing at the time to catch that cow? Uh, yummy flyer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what gave you the idea, inspired you a little. I mean, it's I'm not it, saying it's the same. It, okay. It, again, I'm not saying you have the same yeah. product, but like yeah. you said, I think I can make this better. How about that? Yeah. I mean, it definitely had taken years from that point. Um, I think 2019, I think that was the year that, uh, that whole kind of conception had come together. Um, and that's when we had gotten the sea hunter. So on that whole program, we got a 45 foot sea hunter, uh, that had quad four twenty fives on it. And we fished the hell out of that boat in 2019. I'm saying like two, three days a week. Is that the, which one was that? The, uh, Stella June, the green one, the center. Uh, yeah, just, I know. Okay. Yeah. And so back then, you were on the, I remember this Stella June and you, yeah. he was beating the fuck out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, prior to that in 2015, he was running charters on Hawk and I had worked with him crewing on his boat for, uh, I don't know, a handful of trips. Uh, and then we'd fish on the Ray's Ranger and go bluefin, uh, fishing on that boat. What's the Ray's Ranger? Uh, his ranger it was a 22 uh, ranger beat the fuck out of you guys probably huh yeah we absolutely <laughs> sent that boat you know the thing about rangers though is like i don't like them no but they're a great platform to fish off of it's very very wet <laughs> yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah so you guys fished on that caught a shitload yeah uh I mean, there was a ton of trips on that boat, a ton of trips on Hawk, and that was all prior to the Stella June program, and that kind of came together in 2019. Mm -hmm. And we'd gotten our first boat, um, and I was kind of fortunate to be tied into that whole program, uh, and really I got to see that whole whole kite thing come together and and our team had gotten it really, like, really, really dialed in. And we were crushing fish in 2019. It was so good. And, and before the 2019, did you have the idea for that? No. I I mean, I don't... I feel like in 2019, it was like... It, it definitely had been talked about, like, trip after trip. And it was a type of deal that... Um, on that boat, going out, you're using 20 probably 20 25 dead flyers per day and it's a type of deal that's like all right how how can we come up with something that a regular guy can and go real out? quick how much does it, so people can understand like yeah. that maybe they're not listening sure or maybe they're not um sorry not listening uh they're not saltwater guys so yeah what does a dead flyer go for uh, a flying fish that's frozen sells for thirty dollars for one okay so if you go through 10 you're looking at 300 bucks you're yeah. going through 2600 yeah yeah that's a lot of money yeah to go through in a day yep and that could be for no bites i mean you can get a you lot get of blow bites ups. yeah blow ups i'm sorry yeah you can get blow ups kind of like swim bit fishing guys exactly yeah <laughs> but there's plenty of times that they'll come up and hit it and you don't get hooked um so it's just it's a pricey it's a pricey thing to fish and it just kind of i don't know it, it created some kind of idea that like how 
how can we come up with something that can be used time and time again mm-hmm. um, that's not going to break apart that's it it isn't going to th- uh, it it isn't going to get s- like s- soft or thought out um, and that's when that kind of thing it was it was being talked about quite a bit at that point um, and there was no one really doing you had the yummy but it just wasn't the same yeah as far as that whole whole technique goes it's kind of a one can you explain like the difference between like so at the time the yummy was around how would you fish a yummy because just for people that might not know like what the purpose of that is yeah uh yummy flyer is it's pretty small it's like i would say the wingspan on it is probably six inches or so and a flying fish in california the wingspan on it's probably i don't know 14 inches Um, but on the yummy flyer, it's, it's a type of bait that you would run fairly fast, uh, seven, eight knots and you would troll it around and you can't really fish it really any other way. Um, it's just hopping on top of the water and a tuna, it comes up and it is going to blow up on it. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's the only way to fish that type of bait. There's not really another technique that a yummy flyer can be used. What's the hookup ratio on those? Like how many? It's pretty good because it's pretty small. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so at that time, you're on the still of June. You're with Evan. You see like, man, there's got to be a way to make something that's yeah that'll last longer. Yeah. And I feel like we had talked about it kind of trip after trip, but hadn't really, hadn't, hadn't put anything together. And then 2020 came around and... I would say the first, I don't know, it was the first couple of months of COVID, like probably March um, of 2020 is when, I think that was when, I think the crackdowns had happened and they're like, don't go outside. Don't Don't leave the harbor. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Don't go out of the harbor. Yeah. yeah. Um, And at that point in time, I didn't have a job. And I had a flying fish that was, I think, in our freezer. And I was like, all right, I don't have anything going on. I can't go outside. I'm getting pretty, pretty bored at home. It's time to bring this thing to life. So at that point, I had started playing around with uh, trying to figure out how to create a taxidermy, I guess, kind of replica from a flying fish. And from that point, we had created our first prototype, and it looked horrible. It was was it made out of uh, just plastisol? Yeah. So the first couple I poured <laughs> up, it was plastisol. It looked like shit. It was terrible. I can't imagine that big of a piece of plastisol would bounce the way you needed to. No, it was super floppy. It, <laughs> it was it was terrible. Um, big old dick slapper yeah, on the water, yeah, huh? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and then from that point, had spent the next couple of weeks playing around with uh, a couple of different urethanes and trying to figure out like a, a I don't know, a, a different kind of chemical composition to give the thing a bit more durability than Plastisol has. What did you look into like when you're like going, I need, I need a different plastic because there's yeah. not a lot. Yeah. You got like silicone. Yeah. Stuff there's, and... there's like, I don't know, I would say probably three different options. There's plastisol, there's silicone, and then there's a, a urethane. And 
I went with the urethane because it's extremely durable and that was a type of deal. Um, it was extremely critical that the thing would have to hold up. So, um, as far as that urethane goes, it's super, super tough. Mm-hmm. And as far as like how many fish can be caught on it, I would say that there's guys who have caught 60 plus on one and it's still completely, completely so again, remember, intact. Remember the uh, price point. Yeah. So how much is the price point? Uh, a full kit goes for $200. $200. Okay. So yeah. if you can catch 60 fish, you know, or you bite, say you get like 10 bites. Yeah. And you spent, you know, fucking uh, 300, 300 bucks on bucks. 10 bucks. Yeah. You're still spending less on the, the yeah. you know. Yeah. That's, a, that's something to think about. Like, and that was one thing that I've heard people say. Uh, this is another thing I wanted to bring up was. People say, oh, it doesn't get bait or this. And it's a different application, just like a swim bait. Yeah. I w- so it's like you wouldn't, you, you're going to think like, if if I can get bit on a, like a 300 pound fucking fish. Yeah. And it's going to cost me 300, like 200 bucks. I'm yeah. down, dude. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a price point thing that it comes down to how much it costs in hooks. I mean, I feel like just in our hook rig cost we're looking at $15 in hooks and then you're God. looking at the cost in the wings you're yeah. at 10 bucks and then your your cost for the urethane and the paint and all this other stuff it's like it's a lot of cost that goes into the whole kit plus it's all hand hand poured in California hand it's yeah it's it's a lot of time so back to the 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 design of the yeah. original one with the yeah. urethane mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you get the urethane idea yeah that's solid you pour that one yep Next thing you gotta think about is wings, yep. of course. You know? Yeah, and from our first, I don't know how many that we sold, but the first ones, we were hand cutting wings, hand stamping wings, oh, and per kit, I think we were doing five pairs at first. So you're looking at ten wings that are hand cut, hand stamped. Hand cut? Do you mean like a sta- like a cut stamp, or like you have to cut them? A pair of a pair of scissors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Fuck that. Bro. Yeah. No, it was it was a pain <laughs> in the ass, but uh we had gotten that a bit more uh kind of dialed in mm-hmm. and from that point I had had a CNC guy who cut our wings out and then I've gotten it down to a die cutter. So So at the first point when you when you had the first uh how many revisions did it take you from the plastisol to the urethane? And then how many times did you have to change his wings as, as a direction that you wanted to fly? Or even bounce, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, as far as the revisions from the bait, I mean, it, it hasn't really changed hardly at all. The first one that we did was just a, a taxidermy copy from a flying fish. So as far as like the shape of the thing, I didn't change it really at all. Um, I carved out a hook channel on top of the bait. And then we have the wings that go into a uh, plastic harness. Um, so as far as like the revisions on the bait, we didn't really change it that much from the first one. It's just I changed it from plastisol to urethane. Uh, and then from the wings, I think I did a couple of different shapes, probably two or three. And yeah. what was the reasoning behind the shapes? Like, was there like a as far as it was like smashing from the the you know what I'm saying? Or? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the first ones I had were pretty big, um, and it just it didn't have to be that it didn't have to be that big. So, 
uh, from that point, we, I think I played around probably with a couple of different plastics, a polycarbonate, um, and a couple of other plastics and kind of got it a bit more refined to, to get the, like, as far as like the most durable type of plastic. So do you remember when you, uh, when you hit gold, like, you know, like you're like, oh, this is the fucking design. We hit fish. It's working right. Do you remember the fish you caught with that? Yeah. Uh, our first one we caught uh, probably probably May of 2020 on the Stella June. <laughs> and I think the first one that we'd caught on it was a 260-pounder. <sighs> Fuck, dude. And that was pretty freaking cool. It was it was a very very cool fish. I'm sure, it, emotional as well. Like, yeah, I mean, you put it, so much time into that to see something. Yeah, it was a, a culmination of a ton of time that had gone into this thing, and then going out and testing it. And the first trip out that I had actually taken it out, uh, we did have a bite, and the tuna ripped it from I think the line or the hook rig, and had a bite, but we didn't get the fish. And on that trip, I was like all right, well, it does get bit and I don't know what happened, but I'm going to go back. I'll pour up another one, come back out and try it again. And then on that trip, cut a, a, a 260 pounder on it. And then from that point we had dialed in our paint and that whole process had taken, I don't know, a couple of months, but, uh, from that point, like the shape of it and the wings and everything was pretty much, it was complete. Did you, uh, so when you're first catching fish, mm-hmm. and I'm only asking you this as a bait maker now, I guess I can consider myself a bait maker, mm-hmm. fucking dickhead. Mm-hmm. Um, did you like want to make sure you caught a lot of fish, or did you want to make sure like yeah. Yeah. a lot of people got <clears throat> in their hands and were like, hey, this works really good for every application of person? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a type of deal that. I was trying to prove concept for quite a while. There you go. Yeah. Um, and we proved concept for, I don't know, probably, f- probably 50 fish. And then from that point I was like, all right, <laughs> I feel good about yeah, it. Yeah. Once you got that 260, you're like, I'm good. No, I mean, <laughs> at that point our paint, it was coming off. It was pretty shitty, but as far as like the whole concept of it goes, whole profile, how it flies, how it, skips and all that kind of stuff like the concept it was there it was just it was this like subtle tweaks of paint and hooks and all of that kind of stuff do you think you were at 100 percent when you released it or do you think you were like at 70 or 80 i want to say i was at 100 but probably not you get what i'm saying like i feel like yeah as a bait maker now i can ask these questions and go i don't think i i mean i could think there could be better things or you know yeah, I mean, from a production standpoint, we were certainly, it, it was not even close to 100%. I mean, trying to sell, I I think the first round that we did, we had 400 people who were on a list. Um, Dude, that's crazy, man. And I think we were having to hand cut, hand stamp, and try to do all that. And I ran that for probably a month of doing that hand cutting, and I was like, this is way too time consuming. <laughs> I, I can't keep up with this. And then I from that it. point had the CNC had him take over our production for the wings and got that all taken care of and kind of streamline that process. 
Nice. Um, and then from that point, yeah, I mean, if you're doing hand poured type of stuff and you have a ton of people trying to buy it, it's just like, it's really hard to keep up. Once you went into production as well. Yeah. How was that like quality control and how did you, how did you, how did you handle that? You know what I'm saying? Because before you're pouring one, you knew how you wanted it. Yeah. You seem like you're a perfection guy. Yeah. How did that go? Uh, from the first point, I think we were pouring in two molds and just trying to scale up from that. Only two molds, huh? Yeah. How long is it dry time? I think it's a 45-minute cure, and that's in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, if it's cold, it's probably an hour and 15. But... We used uh, some heating blankets and heaters and stuff, um, and that kind of helped. But uh, we scaled up the molds. I think we were pouring four at a time. Okay. Um, which still is pretty pretty low production capacity. Yeah, yeah. At that point. Yeah. Um, so when your first orders, you're like, okay, you, yeah. you came out with the bait. Yeah. Do you remember when you first released it? Was it out of show? Was no. it online? Uh, I think we dropped it on the 4th of July of 2020. Okay. Yeah. And then from that point, how many was the first order? Uh, well at first I didn't have stock. Um, it just got to a point that we had created, I think an Instagram page for it, created, a, a website for it. Um, and kind of just showed the product to the public. And then from that point, had a ton of people contact us. And in the first month, I think we had 400 people who were, uh, I think we had them on a wait list and just started to chip away at that. And I think to do the first 400, it probably, it took us a couple of months. Fuck. Yeah. Do you, do you mind talking about the first name of your brand? Yeah. I are do you getting in trouble? No. You get in trouble for yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys are in SoCal, you know it's named something a little different. And that was when I I met him. It was a yeah. little different name. Yeah. <laughs> Which is horrible. Like you got it when you look into a name, you think, Oh, I'm good. Yeah. You could even look in fucking legally and be like, I'm good. Yeah. But um so after That's that four hundred, yeah. Uh were you like shit? I got to buy a shop. I got to do all this stuff. Like, yeah. How did that work? So we started in a, a two-car garage and had half of that garage. Um, and we were pouring it up in there. And it was the summertime. It was hotter than shit in there. It was 100 degrees in the shop in the summer. Everything was drying great. Yeah, it was <laughs> It was, It was. was curing up just fine, but sweating like a pig in yeah. there. Um, and from that point, it was going pretty good. And kind of had the feedback from people that they're catching fish it caught on had tackle shops contacting us and i was like okay this is actually it could be a thing and at that time i didn't have a job and i was a hundred percent and i was like okay like i am going in a hundred percent yes and from that point i think we operated from the garage for probably five months and then from that point tried to find a shop and found a shop in Costa Mesa and we moved in there I think in October of 2020 wow and from that point uh we've changed shops since then how um, much, just once yeah okay yeah. 
Um, to expand bigger? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was uh, in 2021. Um, and then... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market had a bunch of clear coat problems and i couldn't get any chemicals in stock for seven months of 2021 so but i think this is anyone that's a bait maker would know yeah. that this has been the problem for everyone yeah and uh i think there was a factory that burned down if you talk to coast airbrush uh the guys over there they go yeah there's a factory that burned down like six months ago that fucking made Stuff for every clear, not just not just for what he's using or what I'm using. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So it's kinda it fucked everyone for a minute. Yeah. As far as our whole process goes, urethane is not really a popular product that people use as far as like trying to paint it. It's just it it's extremely hard to get a paint to glue onto it. Um how did you go about learning? You don't gotta tell the technique. Yeah. But how did you go like was it trial and error the whole time? Yeah. I spent thousands of dollars on a bunch of different types of paint, uh, a bunch of different types of urethane. And I mean, for whatever reason, this whole combination I have of a certain urethane and a certain paint and a certain clear coat, it just happens to work. But to get to that point, I had to go through, I don't know how, probably 10 different trials of different urethane. This is pre-putting it out. Yeah. Yeah, oh, fuck, yeah, dude. Yeah, I get it 100%. Then yeah. I do now that I do this shit. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, I can't believe yeah. what you did. Yeah, can so, you bring the bait out so people might be able to see it? And... Yeah, yeah, you got a wrap, dude. I do. So, here's the bait you guys can see it in the video. Um, Kind of talk about reasons why you design some stuff like the channel, stuff like that, how yeah. the wing's going. Yeah. Um, as far as the whole composition of like the shape of the body goes, it's a taxidermy casting. Um, I tried to create this thing to be as realistic as possible. And that's kind of the profile that we have here. And then for the wings, um, we have a plastic harness that is on the inside of the bait and these wings plug into it so uh let me grab the pins there's actually a pin that holds these things in this isn't an easy like <laughs> the pour on the mold i could if you you guys a lot of people know that's not a lot of shit to do to pour that mold yeah like the rigging of the mold has got to be a bitch as well you know what i'm saying yeah it's a process <laughs> All right, so uh, on this thing right here, these wings plug in, and then there's a hole that goes through the wing and through the harness, and you plug in these pins, and it holds them in. And where's my other pin? And then um, that holds them in, just like so, and then this thing hops on top of the water, a tuna, it'll come up and grab it. 
or hit it if it breaks a wing or anything like that it's pretty quick and easy grab your pin grab a wing and then our kids yeah our okay. kids come with uh 20 wings now so 20 wings 20 wings that's great yeah so fuck so then also so why are those two wing the two uh fins in the back do they do are there for a reason no it's just a you just of, like to have type, them there for the type of profile okay yeah yeah so that's the general shape of the whole thing and it just hops on top of the water and it flies um what um what about the rigging in the middle like what do you suggest or does it come with one yeah so we have a premium hook rig um it is a uh a 10 and a half watt jobu and a i believe it's a stx 68 six aught treble hoof dude that is so big rigged on 400 pound and it just plugs into the channel onto the back of the bait and it just rests in like that and then you have your treble hook right back here on the tail and your j hook here and then the line it feeds through this hoop on top of the head so uh for the swim bait guys it's kind of like a uh a, a line through in that it's sense butch brown rig guys yeah <laughs> eh, i mean it's got it, it, it's got a bit more play than that rig so um yeah let me get the leader out and you feed the line through this hoop on the head It goes in like this. So you make all these rigs as well? Yeah, it's all hand done. Fuck, man. It's all premium type of components and that type of stuff. I didn't really, I didn't want the customers or anything like that to have to go out to to change out you the You want hooks. to be all in one and just have it yeah. there for everyone. Okay. I mean, as far as like the critical components on this whole thing, it's the hook rig. So having a hook rig that's premium components, premium line, premium crimps, your chafe tubing, hooks, and all that type of stuff. I mean, if you're going after a fish that potentially could be 400 pounds, you're gonna want a premium hook. So it's $15 of cost that goes into the hooks. So on this, big whole, yeah, on this whole deal, that line, it goes through the hoop on the head and it'll fly just like this a tuna it'll come up and grab this thing grabs the hooks it pops it out and then this the thing it's able there. to get away from the tuna okay. and that was kind of a, a big component to the design on this thing did that take a couple revisions to get that, that uh way? yeah and the reason i designed it that way is you're usually pulling on these things for an hour i don't know half an hour an hour and that tuna is just there grinding right in the corner of its mouth. And if you've caught them on a yummy, a yummy flyer can just get chewed up. Mm -hmm. And on this type of bait, if it was down in the corner of the mouth of the tuna screwed. for an hour and they're just grinding on it, the paint's just going to be smoked. So that was the whole concept on that is to get the, to get the, the bait away from the hook rig. Um, and that's what we have. So as far as like the bait holding up i think that's the reason that people are able to catch 60 plus on one and and continue to catch them on it so so a lot of this is another thing we've been on the last podcast 
some guys go well oh, i can't i don't know it doesn't it doesn't fucking swim right like it doesn't do this what's the proper application for fishing this rig and uh what's set up and what does it do like i know not all baits are like hey i can do every fucking thing yeah like you're what's your your uh perfect scenario to fish this thing uh the perfect scenario i would say probably 10 knots of wind um and some uh i don't know either a foamer spot or a breezer spot and you're gonna throw this thing out have it on a kite rig and you're gonna have it drift away from the boat going downwind and you're gonna drag it right through a breezer or right through a foamer and it's pretty cool as far as the whole technique goes it's a very like hands-on type of application it's not a trolling type of deal that you throw a rod in a rod holder and just kind of drive um so if you're if you're on a, a breezer or if you're on i don't know a foamer uh it's a type of deal that this thing is hopping on top of the water you're you're gonna be driving probably three to five knots and it's a rod in hand type of deal okay. you're gonna kind of hop the rod a little bit couple pops of the reel to get the thing to hop on top of the water and then whoever's controlling that kite can kind of play around um, on the distance um, trying to get it on top of the fish and that's kind of the cool part of, of the whole kite application is just is being able to place a bait 300 yards from you so um as far as perfect conditions go though it's it's going to be you're dropping it on top of a breezer you're dropping it into a foamer um but it's not as far as like how you can use this thing there's people who catch them drifting there's people who catch them trolling it fast at seven eight knots there's people who catch them trolling it slow at three knots so as far as like how it can be used, it definitely can do a lot more than a yummy flyer can. It can do a lot more than a dead flyer can. And I feel like the one thing about this is that it holds up really well. Um, a tuna can come up and blow up right next to it and it doesn't get hooked and it's not going to, it's not going to have its uh, whole, like the, the body of the bait is not going to get blown apart. Um, mm. It could damage a wing but it's kind of unlikely but it just it, it gives you the ability to keep the bait i guess in the strike zone for a longer period of time so if i'm a noob yeah not not saying a noob but maybe someone that only fishes a dead flyer yeah uh <clears throat> or mad back whatever the hell you, you're fishing for the big bluefin what's your suggested rig that you're gonna you're gonna put everything on to this uh you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I want to know, like, hey, give me a rod, reel, line, mm-hmm. even kite, like a, su- a suggested kite, like whatever you're going to do. As far as kites go, uh, we sell them at CaliforniaFlyer.com. Shameless See, plug. You didn't plug that shit last time, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> um, That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, yeah. you, give me like a full breakdown yeah. of like, hey, this is how I'm going to fish it. Yeah. If you're like, hey, I'm a customer, I bought five of those. Yep. Great. Awesome. How do I fish it? Tell me how to do it. Uh, as far as how hurt you want to get, you can either fish a uh, a rail rod or a b- b- 
bent butt um, and have a harness. I have learned to like a bent butt. Um, it's just, it's a lot more comfortable. Uh, it's as far as like the physicality goes, it's not going to fuck you up as bad. Um, a lot of guys in California are, uh, they're pretty into the rail rod and yeah. like trying to be cool about it, but it's on <laughs> your knee up there, you little bitch. Yeah. If, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're out there and you're commercial and you're trying to catch a ton of these things, it's just like it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty brutal if you're catching them like oh, pretty sure. consistently. So, um, as far as the rod goes, I personally have a Seeker. I think it's a three by five and a Pelica 50, but you can fish pretty much, uh, pretty much any 50 size reel, uh, full of braid. It could be anywhere from a hundred to 150 pound. Um, and then that's going to a snap swivel, heavy, heavy three, 400 pounder. Um, and then that'll snap directly to the line that we provide. Um, and that's pretty much your go-to rod, but it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty stout as far as that three by five. I mean, I've caught plenty of tuna on it and it, it, <laughs> it hurts you. <laughs> what about the kite? So did you yeah. design a kite around that as well? Or did yeah. You kinda... Yeah. As, as far as the whole design of the kite, I mean, I didn't come out with uh, a proprietary type of design, but uh, I do have two kites. Um, there's one that we have that is a, a, a bigger profile. Um, and that would be for conditions from anywhere from like five knots to 20 knots. And then there's a, a profile that we have, it's a bit smaller and that's for, um, wind that's blown a bit harder, anywhere from like 15 to 25. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. It's a pretty awesome breakdown jazz. Yeah. Um, are you going to be at the PCS show? I am. Is anyone doing a seminar on this shit at the PCS show? Uh, I think Dwayne's doing a bluefin seminar. He might talk about it. So. Oh, he better fucking talk about I'll, it. I'll talk to him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks for coming on, dude. This has been an amazing podcast. Uh, let's plug where you can get this. Uh, do you, you don't know your booth yet at the PCS, do you? I think we're uh, 121. 121. So you're yep. not the same. I'm in Anaheim building. Okay. I'm at 330, I think. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. Um, so plug. So 121, check out his his uh, his booth at the PCS. Also check out where you can grab his stuff. Do you have clothing, yep. hats, and as, as well? Yeah. Uh, we will have clothing, uh, hoodies, hats, T-shirts, all that kind of stuff at the PCS show. Um. And then if you don't catch us there, you can go to CaliforniaFlyerCo.com and we have everything up there. And yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks again for coming on, dude. Yeah. You do a little bit of Thank everything. You, You're a jack of all trades, bro. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. All Thank right. You. Everyone go grab some. If you can't grab a California flyer, go grab some uh, gear, man. Hat, shirt. Does a really cool things. Made in America. Let's do it. All right.